This is episode number 10 of Ships with Bobby Block. Welcome to Ships. My name is Pat McCandrew, and I am a professional actor, speaker, and coach. In every episode, we discuss a message related to the most important vessels in our lives. Thanks for being here today. Now let's set sail. Welcome back to the Ships Podcast. Today we have an incredible guest joining us named Bobby Block. Bobby Block is an experiential facilitator and coach with a unique background in both training and the performing arts. She designs and facilitates behavioral development programs that build collaborative, authentic, and trusting relationships. Her unique interactive programs include relationship management, collaboration, leadership, presence, creativity, and presentation skills. In addition to her consulting work, Bobby works as an independent faculty member for the Wharton School's Executive Education Institution. She is also a senior affiliate with the Ariel Group, a firm with global reach that uses best practices from actor training to develop executives' leadership presence. Bobby is the director of applied improvisation programs for Comedy Sports Philadelphia and a designer slash instructor for the leadership program Work Life Leader. In addition, she is a consultant for Bracken Leadership and worked as a facilitator for the training firm Performance of a Lifetime. She teaches and performs improvisational theater in Philadelphia and is an adjunct professor in the theater department at Temple University, Drexel University, and the University of Otago in New Zealand. She received her bachelor's degree from the University of Pennsylvania and her master's at Villanova University. Bobby is also the producing artistic director of the critically acclaimed Tongue and Groove Spontaneous Theater and co-founder of Comedy Sports Philadelphia, which is Philly's longest running live show. So this is a really great episode. I can't wait to dive in and share it with you all. Bobby and I talk about some really important things. We talk about the importance of applied theater and applied improv. And if you're thinking, what's applied theater and applied improv? Well, we will talk about that soon. We also talk about the importance of playfulness and the lasting impact that play has on us as individuals, as well as the importance of fun and how trust is the key to building success and relationships. And Bobby also emphasizes the importance of slowing down. So this is a really impactful episode that I hope all of you listeners gain a lot out of and can implement some of these tactics that Bobby talks about into your daily lives. So let me introduce Bobby Block. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Ships Podcast. Today, we have Bobby Block on the show. Bobby, thank you so much for being with us. Thanks for having me, Pat. 
I'm so excited to have you on the podcast. We connected, I guess it's about maybe uh, eight years ago now, maybe a little over eight years ago. Um, Bobby directed me in an improv show that I did in um, undergrad at Ursinus College. And really since then, we, we've continued to stay in touch. Yeah, and that's uh, a, a lot due to you and your um, great ability to build relationships. Too uh, <laughs> kind. Uh, well, you know that is that is the theme of the the podcast. So that right. just with that, you're it, that's exactly what you did. You wanted to keep the relationship up, and you did, which is well, great. Th thank you. I appreciate that, and a big reason why is because I'm I'm very inspired by the work that you have done and the work that you're doing. So I'm really excited to dive in and talk with you about it and really share your experience with our listeners today. So, so thank you so much. Sure. So really to just dive in, I'm wondering if you could start us, start us off by telling us a bit about your background and what led you to where you're at today. Okay. Well, uh, so I have a master's degree in theater and I, uh, was always very interested in education and the arts. So I started off as a teaching artist where I would go into schools. Um, I'm, I live in Philadelphia, so in the Philadelphia area. Uh, and I would teach playwriting with an organization, an amazing organization called Philadelphia Young Playwrights. And I learned a ton about creating programs and um, dealing with everyone from students to teachers to administrators. Um, and then I moved on from student-based work to wanting to get into adult learning. So I moved from doing teaching artist work to um, uh, being a trainer. So that, that was my goal to become an adult, adult learning trainer. So I wasn't sure what field that would be, uh, but I knew I wanted to work with adults and not kids anymore. So um, interestingly enough, my first job as a trainer was uh, in sexual health. Uh, oh, wow. I, I didn't know, know that. that. Yeah, yeah. So I I took a job teaching, um, you know, reproductive health and, and uh, uh, awareness of, um, you know, just sexual health practices. Uh, and I think the reason why they hired me was I didn't, obviously I didn't have any background in that area, uh, but they really liked that I had this interactive way of doing trainings and that I could use theater and creativity to teach that subject. Wow. So if you don't mind me asking, like, how did you go about using theater and, and performance and acting or improv in teaching sexual health? Well, oh my goodness, this is so long ago. Uh, I did something called um, the Boal method. Oh yeah, Augusta Boal, yeah. Yeah, of course you have, yes. So um, I would use that in that I would get, uh, and so, so uh, it's a form of role-playing. It's improvised, um, theater, but the 
audience takes part in role playing. So we would get scenarios from the audience that were, you know, concerning to them, whether it was some kind of um, sexual health concern or, or um, how to negotiate a sexual situation, um, you know, di different scenarios. And uh, we would start performing them. And then I would stop the performance and I'd ask the audience, what would you do next? What, what, how could you resolve this conflict? Or how would you have this conversation? And different people in the audience would have ideas. But instead of just saying, this is how I would do it, I'd say, all right, come up onto, onto the stage and actually say it and do it. And that's the beauty of that format. You're not just sort of academically talking about something. You're, you're actually putting yourself in the shoes of that person and saying the words and doing the actions. And that's really helpful. Uh, so, so yeah, so I would do that. We'd just get different scenarios, um, sort of pop people in and out of that, that role, uh, and explore all different types of options that they would have to, um, resolve that, that issue. So that's how I used it in that, in that world. And it can be any, any subject, right? It didn't have to be sexual health. I've also done the same thing in, um, in the corporate world or in, in, on college campuses, it can really be used to, to play with different scenarios in life where you have to practice what you would say or do. And what was it specifically about education that grabbed your attention as opposed to pursuing something like acting or directing? Why was it education that you were very interested in? Well, it's might be sort of in my blood. Uh, it's sort of one of those things I can't explain, but I, I'm just, just drawn to being a teacher and an educator. So undergrad, um, I went to the University of Pennsylvania undergrad, and I was sort of playing around with different majors, and I didn't know exactly what I was going to do. And then I realized that they had a um, what they called an individualized major. You could put it together yourself. So I put together a major called child development through creative expression. Wow. Um, yeah. So I, I just took some sociology and some education and some psychology and some arts and I put it all together. And I just knew that I wanted to be, wanted to go out there and teach creative expression or teach through the arts um, as far as why I chose that over being an actor, that's a very interesting question because I think there's a lot of irony in the answer <laughs> and the irony, the irony is this, when I, when I was looking at what I was going to do with my career, I thought, well, I could pound the pavement and be an actor and have that lifestyle of, you know, gig to gig to gig and, never having security. And I don't want that. That's, you know, I, I just don't want that life. So I'm not going to try to just be an actor. I'm going to be an educator uh, because I, I love it. And because I think it's more secure than being an actor. Well, lo and behold, it is not more secure than being an actor. And I have basically made my life into a freelance lifestyle where I still go from gig to gig to gig because I, whether I was, um, you know, as a teaching artist, that was a gig lifestyle. Um, even that training job that I just described um, was only part time. Uh, all of my corporate training right now is all freelance. 
Uh, that's that's where I've ended up. I, we didn't get to that part of my career yet, but I've ended up as a corporate trainer and it's all freelance and it's all gig to gig to gig and there's no security in it whatsoever. <laughs> so that's the irony of that decision. Um, but, <laughs> but there you go. It's really funny. Yeah, it's it's always difficult or it's it's hard to map out like where our lives are going to turn out turn up but um you know they always it always has a way of working itself out somehow yes yeah i i just always find it funny that that's how i decided not to be an actor because i i wanted security and i really don't have it in this in the choices that i've made probably because i i value freedom i'm a i'm a big proponent of freedom so i i really you know, that's why I ended up this way, because I, I like the freedom of, of being a freelancer. Right. The freedom of and the flexibility of your own schedule. I think it's something that's very important. Yes. And there, there's a sacrifice because you, you sacrifice security, um, but you, you gain all kinds of other things. So. Right. So was this job that you had teaching sexual health through through the arts, through theater. Was that what brought you into the applied theater world? Uh, what was it exactly that drew you to applied theater as opposed to uh, teaching theater, for example, at a, at a high school? Yes. Um, so yes, indeed, that's exactly what happened. Uh, so I went from being a, a theater artist, a practitioner of theater uh, to using applied theater. Uh, I didn't know that term when I was doing it, right? So when I yeah, maybe maybe you could explain to our listeners what applied theater is exactly. Sure. So applied theater, or what what I'm doing more of now is applied improvisational theater, um, but and any kind of theater uh, will do, uh, is utilizing the skills of that world of the theater. So the skills of the actor or the director um uh to the well actually let me back up what i do is i apply the skills of the actor or the skills of the improviser to other worlds that are not on stage so i would provide skills to somebody who's trying to communicate more effectively or have better presence in life um that's what i do currently um there are other ways of utilizing theater like role-playing or improvising scenarios, which is what I did in, um, uh, in that sexual health training job. Um, but what I do mostly is I apply right now in my career is I apply the skills of the improviser, which is things like being a great listener, um, recovering when you make a mistake and being able to get right up and learn from your mistake quickly and move on. Um, really uh, being in the moment, being present, listening and building off of what the other person just gave you because improvisers are really great at collaboration. So I teach the skills and I apply those skills outside of the stage, off stage in other scenarios. So that's what applied theater or applied improv means to me. Now, obviously you're quite involved in that world as well. So you might be able to add to that definition. Right, right. It's really, I, I, I would agree with absolutely everything that you said. It's really utilizing the skill sets learned in, in theater, acting, directing, playwriting, whatever it may be 
into other industries. And something that I'm still trying to figure out and work around, and I'm wondering if you could comment on this as well, is uh, what, what is your process in translating those skills to other industries in a way that a business owner or maybe even someone working in the medical field will understand how to implement these skill sets? Because I think a lot of times I might talk to people and say, oh, yeah, well, I work with different industries and I use theater skills to you know, improve communication, awareness, presence and all that. But a lot of people might not be sure what that means. Like, oh, what does he mean by theater skills? So is it really just kind of the cultivation of skills like communication, relationship building, trust that is inherent in theater and then applying that to different industries? Or like, how, how do you make that transition smooth? Uh, well, that's the million dollar question. Uh, and I think that... Uh, more and more and more, the, the general population is becoming educated about that. Uh, but yeah, at the, in the beginning, uh, it was impossible to describe what we were doing and you'd have to say, you got to see it or experience it to understand it. Um, but lately, if you check like, the Wall Street Journal or the New York Times or, you know, different publications, you'll see articles in the business section about the use of improvisation or theater skills to, um, uh, to create the communication skills that, that people need to succeed in the workplace. So, so it's starting to catch on more, but that doesn't quite answer your question. Um, before it started catching on and even in those different pockets of the world where it has not caught on yet, um, what I would do uh, is so so let me let me make the leap that, that that you know sexual health training job that was using role playing right that was one type of applied theater, but leaping forward, what I do now in using applied improv with my corporate clients, we never do role playing. That's not my use of it. What I do is I take an exercise from improv. And I have them do the very same exercise that I would have my theater students do, right? So I teach theater at Temple University and Drexel University, and I've taught taught improv, you know, all over the place. And I will take the exact same exercise that I would do with those students who want to be actors or improvisers and do it with, you know, a bunch of insurance salesmen or, or medical professionals or anyone. Uh, and when they're done playing, right, they have, they have to be in a playful place. Uh, when they're done playing, I will debrief, very, very carefully debrief and say, all right, what skills did you need in order to do that exercise well? What was challenging to you? What about your own behavior was getting in the way? So for example, improv, as I said, has a lot to do with listening and being in the moment. So if I do exercises that improvisers do to practice being in the moment, the corporate folks that I work with will, um, will recognize that that's tricky for them, that they're thinking ahead a lot, that they have an internal script that is just teed up inside their brain and just they're just waiting for somebody to stop talking so that they can say something clever or say something that is going to prove that they're a trusted advisor um, and that they're not really listening and collaborating with the other person. 
So once we debrief that and they realize, hey, I, I do have, that's a behavior problem that I have. I'm not a great listener. I'm not present. Then we say, okay, great, let's do that exercise again. Or here's a different exercise that improvisers do to practice being able to be spontaneous and in the moment and collaborative. Let's work on that. And then again, we get playful and we play in those same exercises. And again, we debrief. How is that difficult for you? How is that easy for you? And then we talk about how they would apply that in their conversations with clients or colleagues or um, within the workplace. So that's that's sort of in a nutshell. How does that sound? Are there more questions around that? <laughs> oh, no, no, that's great. Absolutely. It's really, I, I really like how you brought up uh, have, being in a playful state and the importance mm -hmm. of play, because there's a certain aliveness that happens when we're mm -hmm. at play. And I'm wondering if you could talk about why play is so important, as opposed to just going in as a, as a consultant and talking to them about you know, why communication is so important, why listening is so important in like a PowerPoint presentation or something like that. Why, why is it that play is so important and so essential to the work that you do? Great. Well, I, I love that you keyed in on that. Um, yeah, the, uh, I have a friend who does this kind of work, uh, in New Zealand. Um, uh, and her, her, her work is, um, I want to get the phrase right. She calls it deep fun, deep fun. Yeah. I like that. So she's, she's a colleague of mine and uh, she defines deep fun as, as fun that has a, a lasting impact that it's not just fun in the moment, but it, it, it resonates. And I think that that's the key when, when, if you hear about, oh, they're going to do some improv in my workplace and we're going to do some team building, it sounds like we're just playing games just to have fun with each other, just to be playful with each other. And there is a great value in, in playing with your colleagues so that you just feel you, you can build a lot of trust through playing with somebody. Um, but this idea of deep fun that my, my colleague has, the fact that it has a lasting impact, that playing um, because it's experiential and it's, it's, it, it involves so many different senses. It's not just visual learning. It's kinesthetic learning. It's oral learning. It's interpersonal. It's intrapersonal. It, it's got all the elements mixed into it. And that sticks. It's sticky. It lasts. It's not just a training where you're like, oh, I'm going to a training. I'm sitting there. I'm taking notes. And maybe if I look at those notes next week, maybe I'll remember what I learned. When you play, it sticks. That's all, that's, that's all I can say about play. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it, it really is. And like, there's, um, there's a really good book that I'm sure you might've read called play mm -hmm. by this doctor named Stuart Brown. And he talks about this concept that why play is so essential is that a lot of time, I mean, I guess not specifically in the applied theater work, but it, and the element, an element of play that makes it so crucial is that there's not a, um, 
and, and in the moment, there's not like a focus on like a purpose, I guess, yeah. uh, or there's like, yeah. there's like an abandonment of, of, uh, you know, you're very present, I guess I should say, mm-hmm. uh, when you're, when you're playing and there's a magic to that, that, um, is so essential and so important. And so in the work that you do, it, it's very encouraging to be able to play and then to be able to reflect on that play as well. Exactly. I, I agree completely. The, the, the fact that you're fully present is the key. The, one of the issues with adult learning is that as adults, we're conscious of learning. When you're a child, you're not conscious of learning because every single minute of your life, you're learning. You're a child. Everything is learning. Everything is something new. Once you become an adult, you feel like you're kind of set, right? Um, but you can learn, right? All the research proves that there's lots of different growth and, uh, you know, that, you, that your mind literally can grow. Um, and in order to do that, you can't be conscious of it. The being conscious of learning actually is going to get in the way. Uh, it's going to make you too, uh, too in your head, too stuck on, oh, I got to do this right. I got to do this correctly. I got to learn this. Whereas being playful and being present in the moment, you release consciousness of learning and it, and you just allow the experience to infect you for lack of a better word. Uh, and, um, uh, so the lack of consciousness actually allows the the experience to, like I said, stick to really sus- be sustained. Right. It's it's really amazing. Like when you think about it, and it, it's so true. It's like when we're in those moments of play and we're learning, but we're not realizing that we're learning, and how essential and important that is. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, when I studied play a billion years ago. Um, when I was doing that major, the child development major, I re- I do remember how uh, they brought up how animals um, play, but they play like um, practicing uh, like lion cubs will play with each other, but they're they're playing in sort of a really rough way because they're practicing going after their prey. Right. They're practicing like being able to go out and stalk and go get food. Right. Uh, or protect themselves from a predator. So the play is very, is purposeful. Um, but they don't know that they're learning how to go out there and like, you know, grab onto some food and, and live. Right. <laughs> so I, I always thought that was interesting that, that playing um, in the animal kingdom was really practice for what they had to do as an adult in order to survive. Right. Absolutely. So Bobby, so much of what you do in your work is focused around building collaborative and trusting relationships. And I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about why that and your work is so important today. Um, so building trust has become very clear to me Uh that, that it's become clear that trust is really the key to being successful in whatever industry or whatever work you're doing. Um, in this day and age, you can really find the answer to anything, like at the tips of your fingers. You, you, can, you can Google anything you need. 
I don't necessarily need to hire a plumber. I don't necessarily need to hire a um, financial advisor uh, or, you know, or even a lawyer sometimes. Like there are lots of things out there that you can just figure out yourself. What you don't, what you, so what you need in order to succeed in your, whatever industry you choose is you need to know how to build a trusting relationship because just being the answer man or the problem solver isn't gonna, that's not enough anymore. So I want to have a lawyer or a plumber or a, you know, financial advisor who I trust, not necessarily somebody who ha has all the right answers because I can get the right answers. It's somebody who I, I feel is on my side, who endorses me and gets me and what my needs are. Uh, and I think that is just a crucial skill to have out there in the workplace. And a lot of young people who are early in their career, they really feel that they have to prove themselves as being a subject matter expert, you know, really understanding their, their subject. And that's fine. You should, you should be an expert, but that is not enough. I don't need that as much as I need a relationship with whomever I'm working with. Does that make sense? Yeah, that answer yeah your question? absolutely. Because those relationships are going to be the things that propel you and sustain you throughout your life. And if you find yourself a, an expert in a certain skill set or or job, but you do, you don't really have any deep and meaningful relationships, I imagine that you'd, you'd feel pretty hollow inside. Yes, absolutely, and. Uh, uh, and you, yeah, you won't, you won't have the tools to build relationships. You won't understand what that means. I run into this constantly that it's just so many people thinking, well, if I have the right answer, if I say the right words, if I have all of my ducks in a row and every single fact and figure, you know, that I can present to my client or my boss or my whoever I'm working with, then everything's going to be okay. And it's just not the case. You have to have emotional intelligence as well as cognitive intelligence. And emotional intelligence has a lot to do with how to build a trusting relationship. And how to build a trusting relationship has everything to do with being authentic. And that's where my work comes in a lot because um, actor skills are about um, being able to non-verbally as well as verbally show how you're feeling right? Just literally being able to smile or frown or, or show in your body that you have energy or you don't have energy or you're open or you're closed. So body language and vocal tone and all of those things that actors work a lot on uh, have to do with being emotionally congruent. So if I'm emotionally incongruent with people that I'm dealing with, that feels inauthentic, disingenuous, and that leads to a, 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 an erosion of trust. Um, for example, if I, if I, you know, smile when I say that I'm disappointed in you, like I have a big <laughs> smile on my face, I say, I'm really, I'm really disappointed in how this meeting went. I don't know. We're going to have to fix this. That, that doesn't work. You've got to, you've got to be congruent with what you're saying and how you're saying it. Right. Absolutely. What would you say is the biggest 
problem, if there had to be like a number one problem or difficulty that a lot of your clients face that you kind of see time and time again in the work that you do? Uh, everybody needs to slow down. <laughs> That's the biggest issue. Uh, if I'm, I'm coaching somebody on a presentation, they're talking a mile a minute. They're not present. They're just going on and on and on with without ever pausing. Um, if I'm coaching somebody on having a, an important or difficult conversation, they are, again, just sort of wanting to get to it. They want to get to the end of it. They want to get to the big bomb that they're going to drop. They want to, they're just not listening. They're just, everything is so fast, fast, fast. That that's the issue. People are not present. They're, they're working so quickly. They're not slowing down. They're not breathing. Right. You know, uh, as obviously, you know, from your work that you need to take deep breaths and allow yourself to uh, inhibit that insane adrenaline that's just going to put you in fight or flight mode all the time. And in order to take deep breaths, you have to slow down. People think that they have to rush through their day um, because, you know, the external like deadlines that are looming and um, they don't realize how much they're actually making things take longer because every time you have a rushed communication, it's a miscommunication. Like there's all kinds of things that's going to go wrong. And now you have to communicate a second time or a huh. third time. Yeah. If you just take the time to have one good conversation or one good communication, then uh, you, you're saving yourself time in the long run because people don't have to come back to you. Do you think that a lot of people believe in like everything being urgent in their life. Like there's almost like an urgency epidemic where everyone feels like that what, th there's just a bunch of things coming at them and they feel like they need to get it done ASAP. And do you find that there are some uh, clients that you work with or even just people that you talk to that are like, oh yeah, building relationships, communication, trust, like that's all great, but I I need to do this so I could get the results that I want. Yes, bingo. That's exactly what I hear all the time. Now, I, I will say that there are different personality styles. That's another thing that I do in my career is I do um, uh, an assessment that that goes over four different communication styles. And there are some communication styles that are slower and um, they have more of an ability to listen and, um, and have like good solid communication. But there's, there's also the other styles that are just pushing and moving and moving. Um, so yes, absolutely. I run into that a lot. Uh, where they do say, oh, that's all well and good, but I got to get the job done. Now, I will, over my long career, I have made an interesting discovery, which is, and I mentioned this a little bit earlier, that's a lot of people early in their career, they feel that urgency. Later in their career, I think they've learned, you know, maybe they've been burned a few times. Maybe they've had enough experiences where they realize, wow, I really do need to build relationship in order to be successful. I think people who are later on in their career have a little bit of a better handle 
on how important building relationships and slowing down and building that trust really is. Sometimes I get people who are really old school and they, they really miss the boat on that. Um, and they still are having that, that epidemic of urgency, as you said. Um, but, uh, I do find that people a little bit later in their careers, they get it a little more. Maybe they feel a little more secure that they don't have to prove themselves anymore. But the, the urgency I do find with people earlier in their careers who are just trying to prove themselves or push or they feel that, you know, that it's all task and no, you know, if you had a continuum with task on one end and people on the other end, uh, they're just all down at that task end of the, the continuum and they don't see, they don't see that as being part of the same set of skills that you have to be balanced between task and people. Yeah, that, that's so true. And uh, realizing that investing in relationship coaching or, or training or leadership training uh, is a long-term investment as opposed to like a, oh yeah, see like immediate results because relationships take a long time to, to build. Exactly. Exactly. And I, I do feel bad for, um, again, I, my world is so much now in the corporate world, but, um, I feel badly for some people who find themselves in a leadership position who were never trained in any of that stuff because that's not what they train you in, in college or in your earlier in your career. They don't train you in how to manage people and how to build relationships. So now you've been promoted because you're really good at what you do. Uh, and you're a subject matter expert. And so, uh, great, congratulations. You are now the manager and you're managing five, 10, 100 other people. And no one ever taught you how to manage. They just taught you how to do your job, but they didn't teach you how to manage people. And now, now you have to learn all this leadership and trust building stuff. And I feel bad for them because nobody told them anything about that earlier. Uh, so that's definitely tricky. Right. I, I feel like that's a, a very common thread. And oftentimes when you hear employees saying things like, oh, you know, I'm having a difficult time with my boss. I feel like in many, many cases, that's the reason why is that they were excellent at their job that they did when they came in, whether it was uh, entry level or in a position where they didn't need to manage or lead people, but then they get promoted to this leadership position. And all of a sudden, it's a completely different job where they're, you know, trying to lead and inspire people. But probably, I would assume a lot of leaders in that position, like you said, don't have the training for that sort of position. Exactly. Exactly right. Yeah. So I'm wondering if we could dive in a little bit and talk about uh, Tongue and Groove. So you're the producing artistic director and founder of Tongue and Groove, which is a very unique type of improv group based in Philadelphia. Uh, for you listeners out there, I highly recommend checking them out. Mm -hmm. um, I've seen uh, many of their performances and it's it's amazing every single time. So I'm wondering if you could talk a, a little bit about Tongue and Groove and also how it's different from maybe a more traditional improv group. Well, I would be delighted to talk about Tongue and Groove. <laughs> um, so Tongue and Groove, uh, we have a format of doing unscripted theater, improvised theater, where uh, we get personal information from the audience 
that they anonymously submit by writing on cards. And we take that personal information and we use it to inspire uh, a series or a collage really of scenes and monologues that explore life and relationships. And so the, the uh, result of what you would see at a tongue and groove show is, um, uh, both comic and serious scenes, sort of a mix of tones could be hilarious, could be very sweet or, or, or sad. Um, uh, that is really trying to just explore real life and how real people interact with each other. Uh, but specifically reflecting the lives of that particular audience. Because we're asking that audience to give us information about their life, we're trying very much to have the audience as real collaborators in our, in our art form, that they are truly informing what it is we are performing. So we want to really connect with them. Uh, the name tongue and groove means seamlessly connected. So tongue and groove is how floorboards are connected to each other. Right, right, right yeah. So, um, and when floorboards connect with the tongue and groove system, you can't see where they're connected. So it's oh, a I like thing. that. I like, yeah. yeah. Oh, I can't believe you didn't know yeah. that. Well, I, I, I knew, um, you know, tongue and groove, the floorboards and then tongue and groove, the name of, uh, your company, but I hadn't like, I hadn't put the, the two and two together with regards to the explanation. Yeah. I like that. Thank you. So it took us like months and months and months to come up with that name. Uh, the company is 12 years old. So 12 years ago, when we when we started, we were like, okay, we got to have a great name. And we had like 50 different names. And when we found that one, that was it. That's like, that sticks. So anyway, so it means seamlessly connected. And we're, we're interested in uh, creating artistic experiences where people feel connected in a disconnected world, right? So it's, it's, it's hard to connect in, in this world, a lot of distractions. Um, and uh, this gives you an opportunity to come together, you know, in one room and, you know, in a dark theater and feel connected with your fellow audience members and feel connected with the artists who are performing moments that are inspired by your own life. Uh, and what I mean by um, uh, personal information, uh, it, it's all based on a prompt that we would give. So we might ask the audience, um, tell us a secret that you keep. And then they would all write on a card uh, a secret that they're keeping, either their own secret or a secret they're keeping for somebody else. Um, or we might ask, tell us who you are in one sentence. Uh, or what's a question that you've been grappling with lately? Or what's something you've always wanted to say to somebody, but you never really could say it? Uh, so things like that. And we, we get these cards and they're just so rich and so wonderful. And then we, we improvise based on that. So that's what Tongue and Groove is. That's great. And so why do this because th there are some elemental differences with what tongue and groove does from you know what a traditional like comedic improvisation group would do so why do improv in this way as opposed to you know the more traditional route well 
I have uh, a lot of training in lots of different types of improv. Um, so I, uh, I was the co-founder of Comedy Sports in Philadelphia and Comedy Sports plays short form improv games. Um, for those in the audience who aren't familiar with that, they might be familiar with the TV show, Whose Line Is It Anyway? Um, so these are sort of wacky comic games that are really fun and comedy sports plays them in a sports format where there's two teams of players and a referee who calls fouls if you make a bad joke. Um, and it's really fun, uh, and wacky and silly. Um, and then, uh, then you've got my acting background, right? So, um, you and I both went to Villanova for our, our, um, our master's degrees. So, you know, I'm studying acting at, at Villanova and, you know, that's a serious pursuit and, and it's really about authentic emotional connections, uh, if you're doing naturalistic acting. So while I was doing, um, comedy sports, I was sort of longing for my acting days as well. And so I started doing what's called long form improv and long form improv is, um, scenes doing scenes, but again, those scenes in most of the long form that I was, uh, uh doing, uh, those were always about being comic or going surreal. The beauty of improv is that you can make anything happen. So you do, you make anything happen, you know, Oh, I just turned into a wizard, you know, like whatever you make anything happen and that's fun. Uh, and so long form improv helped a little bit in, you know, my connection to my acting world, but still it just didn't feel authentic. And, you know, we'd be in a scene and we'd be exploring a relationship and we were like about to kiss on stage and, and nobody back then was doing any kind of touching or physicality in, in improv. It was all like, Oh, we're about to kiss. Oh, no, I just turned into a frog. Oh, well, you know, <laughs> wacky things would happen. And I got very frustrated. I was like, why can't we just do, a real scene that just happens to be improvised. So I was inspired to create Tongue and Groove uh, because I wanted the playfulness of improvisation to be combined with the integrity of something that is scripted and seriously exploring character relationships. So I, I wanted I wanted us to improvise it. I didn't want to work with a script. I wanted that magic that happens when you're right in the moment and nobody knows what anybody's going to do. Uh, but I also wanted to keep it in the genre of realism and not go surreal. Uh, and that's when I, how I created Tongue and Groove. Um, and I happened to be working with some college students at that time who were acting students at the University of the Arts. So I did some experimenting with them and they just dove right in and I, and they kind of showed me, wow, I can really do this. Uh, and I also worked with another improv company called Playback Theater. And yes. Play yep. You know, Playback. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I'm involved in a Playback Theater company up here in New York called Village yeah. Playback Theater. Oh, that's great. Yeah. yeah for that. That's fantastic. <laughs> Yay. So, so Playback, was another company I was involved with back in the day, and they um, use stories from the audience, and they literally play those stories back. So they'll, the audience will tell a story, and they'll play that story back using theater and movement and music. Um, and I didn't want to do playback. I still wanted to invent, right, to be inspired by, but not literally play back the exact story. So I used a little bit of playback, 
a little bit of comedy sports, a little bit of the long form that I was doing. I was in a company called Lunch Lady Doris for, for a very <laughs> long time. And Lunch Lady taught me tons about long form. So I took all of my experiences and I mushed them together and I came up with the form that I, that, that, you know, that spoke to me that I, I like. Uh, and that's how I came up with, with how tongue and groove works. And do you find that audiences are very receptive to the show, whether it's through having their cards read or through conversations that you have with them after the performance? Uh, yeah, I, yes. <laughs> they. I, it's funny. I At first, I was so into like, oh, we're doing this great improv. It's really serious. And look, we can do these intimate relationships on stage. And I talked to the audience, they were like, you read my card, you read my card. <laughs> like, they, were, they were not talking to me about the, the great, beautiful acting work we were doing on stage. <laughs> they were really into the fact that their, their life was being used to inspire us. And they were really curious about what other people wrote. You know, like, ooh, who wrote that card? And oh, that's interesting. And I wonder if I'm sitting next to that person. So I, I slowly started realizing that it was as much about them and their, yeah, their, their, their involvement in our show as it was about, you know, this highfalutin thing I had in mind about the great acting we were doing. <laughs> that's um, really so, funny. Yeah. So I tried to, I let that go and I realized, yeah, I really want to pay a lot of attention to the audience's experience. Uh, so, yeah, so that's why tongue and groove at first tongue and groove, we were thinking it was just the actors that the actors were seamlessly connected with each other. But I quickly realized it's that we're all connected with each other and the audience is really into it as well. So yes, we get great feedback. I'll tell you just like rounding our way back to one of your first questions about like, do people even know what applied improv is and how do you explain it? Um, it's kind of hard to explain tongue and groove too. Like I've, I've chosen a very rocky path. <laughs> I don't do anything that is traditional. Um, people, they, they, they've seen whose line is it anyway, and they might get, you know, wacky improv um, or now that, you know, UCB and Magnet Theater and all these great places um, in New York and in different in Chicago and different places, they might get what um, long form improv is. And again, they'll they'll think, oh, it's all funny. It's all it's all silly. Uh, they don't get that we're doing this combo of both comic and dramatic work. And so it is a little bit a little bit difficult to explain. So the improviser audience doesn't quite get us and the theater audience doesn't quite get us. So I have to really cultivate the right audience for us. <laughs> it's something that you have to experience. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. You know, that's what we, we say. Look, if you like this, go tell a friend, bring them back to the show. And that's how our audience <laughs> has grown over the years. Right. So, so much what uh, I've been talking to or, or talking about with guests on this podcast is really the importance of human relationships, specifically in a digital age. And there's many people, kids, adults, and especially teenagers who are now facing increased issues when it comes to depression and anxiety. And many of these links are pointing to social media and smartphones as being part of that problem. So mm -hmm. is there a certain way or, or do you believe that theater, applied theater, applied improv 
can be a cure of sorts for these kind of issues that are starting to increase? Absolutely. Uh there's uh, a woman in comedy sports who invented a little catchphrase, improv saves lives. <laughs> and it sounds like a very high um, goal, improv saves lives. But I, I really believe that people who get in, involved in the arts and improv or any kind of artistic uh, endeavor, uh, they're exercising parts of their mind, body, soul, spirit that cannot be exercised anywhere else. And the more we're stuck online and the more we're interacting in the, in a virtual way, um, the, the less time we have for those experiences. You know, lately uh, at the end of a comedy sports show, we've been saying to our audience, hey, you could have sat home tonight and watched Netflix. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, but but instead, you chose to come and sit in an audience with a bunch of strangers and in, and involve yourself in live theater. And for that, we thank you. And you are unique people because you made that choice. Um, I just think that that whether you're going out to see music live or theater live, or you're you're watching it as an audience, you're participating in it in a workshop. Whatever you're doing, it's it's touching those parts of you that that make you human, that that collaborative, relational part of you, uh, and that while sometimes uh, the digital world can allow you to do that, uh, I just don't think there's any substitution for doing it physically, literally in person. Uh, so yes, I do think it can be something of a cure or a um, uh, a necessity, at least balance. You know, I'm I'm look, I troll Facebook. As well. <laughs> we all we all Not do. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to use the word troll. I you know I'm I I do my share uh, of online relationship building, and uh, even that you know I mentioned my colleague in New Zealand. If it weren't for Facebook, I wouldn't have a colleague in New Zealand. Uh, so it does beautiful things to connect people in this world. Uh, but I do think it also can lead to, as you said, studies show depression and isolation. And so we want to encourage people to get out there and, and, and be experiential. Absolutely. So, Bobby, I only have uh, one more question for you. And given everything that you have said today in our discussion, I'm wondering how, in your opinion, can humans better connect to one another? The first thing that came to my head was listening. And then the next thing that came to my head was, um, so do you, you know, TJ and Dave, right? The, the improv. Duo, I don't TJ think I do No. Oh my God, Pat, I got to get you some videos of them. Uh, so TJ and Dave are um, probably the greatest improvisers in the world literally. Uh, and I got to talk to Dave of TJ and Dave very briefly on the phone for a project I was doing. And, and I asked him a similar question. And his answer was, you know, like, like, what's the one piece of advice you would give improvisers? It wasn't how to, you know, advice for connecting. It was one piece of advice for improvisers. And his, his advice was pay attention. And I just thought that was so beautiful. Pay attention. 
And I, I just think that goes to what the, the first thing that came to my mind when you said, how can we connect more? Listen. I call myself a recovering control freak. I My personality style is not a great listener because I like to... I like to fix things and I'm very creative and I want to give you the answer to your question and I want to solve your problems. And it all comes from a really good place, uh, but it's very controlling and it does not allow enough time for building a relationship. And for 20 years, as I've been doing improv my whole life, that's sort of my spiritual practice. It has taught me to release control you know, like meditation and yoga does that, um, release control and, and pay attention more and listen more and shut my mouth and open my ears more, um, and connect, you know, just like, yes. And right. You can't just say yes. You can't just pay attention and that's it and say, yeah, you're right. What you want to do is do the, and you want to build on what the other person just said. And that makes them feel heard. And that is a goal to connect. A goal to connecting is paying attention and then doing the and, reflecting back, building on what they just said. And that will make them feel like, wow, you really heard me. And that's that's how you connect with people. Yes. And, uh, yeah. And, <laughs> and I, that's, that's absolutely right. Because, and I think that's something we could all... The improving on that never stops. I think it's something that we could always improve upon and definitely something to be conscious of, of today. Absolutely. That's why I'm a recovering control freak and not a recovered control freak <laughs> because I'm always still working on it. Right. Still Absolutely. Yeah. Well, Bobby, thank you so much for joining us today. I really appreciate you coming on the podcast. Before we sign off, I was just wondering uh, if you could let us know where our listeners could find out more information about you and your work. Ah, thank you. Uh, yes. So my applied improv work and my communication skills work can be found at bobbyblock.com. And that's B-O-B-B-I-B-L-O-C-K.com. Uh, and information about Tongue and Groove is at tongue-groove.com, tongue-groove.com. And uh, that's it. That's how you can find out more about us. Awesome. Great. We'll be sure to include those links in the show notes of the podcast as well. So that way people could easily access them. So Bobby, thank you so much again. Really appreciate it. It was great having you on the podcast. Thanks, Pat. It was absolutely a pleasure. Oh, what a great episode. I really hope you enjoyed this episode with Bobby Block. She's doing some inspiring and amazing work when it comes to applied theater and applied improv and using the skill sets learned in acting, learned in the theater, and applying them to industries that are really in need of them and really having the opportunity to build and cultivate relationships in places that are really lacking trust and collaboration. So a big thanks to Bobby for coming on this show. If you liked this podcast, please feel free to subscribe, leave a comment, share it with your friends, or if you have the Anchor app, you can send in a voicemail. And depending on the future, there's a possibility that I might publish the voicemail on a future episode. So stay tuned. 
Also, you have the opportunity to support this podcast. All you have to do is click the link below in the show notes and feel free to give a monthly donation. This will allow me to continue making amazing episodes with inspiring guests. So I really hope you enjoyed the episode today and I will catch you all soon.